for the kayaks, bro. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. The laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. <laughs> Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Got the Mutiny Mutiny Radio. Got the Mutiny Mutiny Radio. Got the Mutiny Mutiny Radio, my friend. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny, mutiny radio. Got mutiny ra- radio, my friend. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be. Like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Let's watch full-length movie on YouTube with Michael Spiegelman. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, L W F L M O Y T. L W A F L M O Y T. That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
was a time before liberation when all the witches were mad and moonstruck when the shrinking and the shocking and the mocking were rife we still found each other the ones in the was a time before demonstrations when the queens and fairies were shy and fearful we ran and we hid from the fist and the knife and we still found each other the ones in the life. Do you know Dorothy? Do you have the time? Have you got a light, dear? Change for a dime? Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern where we won't be seen. There was a time before celebration when all my sisters were ghosts and shadows. Every femme had a butch, every husband a wife, and we still found each other the ones in the life. Do you know, Dorothy? Do you have the time? Have you got a light, dear? Change for a dime. Do you come here often? I see what you mean. I know a tavern where we won't be seen. There was a time back before Stonewall. We heard the jokes and we joined the laughter. We lied and we passed and avoided the strife. But we still found each other, the ones in the life. We still found each other. been today, truck driver man? Where have you traveled across the wide land? I've been to the east, I've been to the west, the north and the south, and the roadsides to rest. I've been to the centers of commerce and trade, and every big city that industry made. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone, and the coffee is cold. But each mile of highway has calloused my soul. 
rolling it all home to you. What did you haul today, truck driver man? What did you carry across the wide land? Peanuts and lumber, parts for machines, castings and cookies, and rose-colored dreams. There was boxes and bags, and barrels of oil, cement by the yard, steel by the coil. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone. And the coffee is cold, but each mile of highway has calloused my soul, rolling it all home to you. What took you so long today, truck driver man? What was the delay as you traveled the land? morning it snowed in the night i made a left turn i should have gone right i watched for the crazies i watched for the bears i waited for scales i was down for repairs i've been rolling so long but i'm still in the hole the fever is gone and the coffee is cold but each mile of highway has calloused my soul Rolling it all home to you What do you think about truck driver man? What are your dreams as you travel the land? I dream about playing all day in the sun While somebody younger is making the run I dream about finding two perfect fried eggs, arresting my eyes and the waitress's legs. Never no more, nights all alone, not being more than an hour from home. I've been rolling so long, but I'm still in the hole. The fever is gone and the coffee is cold, but each mile of highway has calloused my soul. Rolling it all home to you Where have you been today, truck driver man? Where have you traveled across the wide land? I've been to the east, been to the west The north and the south and the roadsides to rest Well, good morning. Good morning, everybody out there. It's labor and love time. It's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Actually, 10.23 now. <clears throat> that was our opening set. As usual, we're here at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning to tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. <clears throat> Probably hundreds of people worked for that dollar and they didn't get it. If you don't have a seat at the table, 
a negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're probably on the menu. In fact, you're definitely on the menu. People will be taking your life and dividing it into pieces. And you have very little to say about it if you don't have a seat at that table. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Here at 21st and Florida at uh, the Mutiny Radio Studios, where you can get everything from comedy to art to radio, 40 different programs here to interest you, enlighten you, entertain you. So come on down. Mutiny Radio, where you can come and find your voice. Well, this is the B, and um, that set went, actually, we took one extra song there. I wanted to hear this one by Larry Penn. Been rolling so long. Truck driver song, of course. Sounds like the ancestor to Six Days on the Road. And before that, we had the 10% Review singing before Stonewall, talking about the secret lives of gay and trans and queer people. Before Stonewall, and we're going to have a a video, an audio presentation of Stonewall. Certainly one of the most important days in uh, the American resistance. Up before that was the Brooklyn Funk Ensemble playing the Pharaoh Sanders song, The Creator Has a Master Plan, Peace and Happiness for Everyone. Believe it. Make it happen. And we kicked it off with a little thing from Artie Shaw. Um, Summit Ridge Drive. Artie Shaw and his Gramercy Five. A little wake-up song for Saturday morning. Okay, so what do we got today? We've been waiting to do our feature on Judy Berry, so we'll do that today. Judy Berry, the uh, organizer and environmentalist who did a lot of her work in Northern California in the logging camps. Trying to convince people that uh, it makes sense to preserve our natural resources and our forests. At the same time, figuring out what people could do who made their living, in fact, cutting down trees. Can the decline of unions be stopped? Question for our labor notes, people. We've got our Radio Labor World Labor Report. And our credos. And as I say, we've got our Stonewall video and 
our labor beat, our Facebook labor beat. You can find us on Facebook at Labor and Love Radio. And then a continuance of our uh, organizing, history of organizing in Hawaii in the 40s and 50s by the ILWU, how Hawaii became a union town. Okay, let's see. We had something else, too. Oh, yeah. Um, Naomi Osaka. <clears throat> Naomi Osaka is a championship-grade tennis player and uh, suddenly withdrew from the French Open, one of the biggest tennis tournaments, uh, because she felt that uh, she needed time away from the sport because her mental health was... Suffering. Maybe she felt too much pressure from the media. She's from the press. The four-time Grand Slam winner saying on social media that she won't do any news conferences at the tournament because of mental health concerns. Osaka says taking questions from journalists after tough matches is like kicking a person while they're down. Joining me now, Ari Chambers, founder of Women's Sports Vertical, highlight her. Ari, Osaka also saying this. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings mm -hmm. true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. I gotta tell you, I'm a huge sports fan. It kills me to watch losing coaches and players do those post-interviews. They are so painful. Your thoughts on Osaka's decision here. <laughs> yeah, I think it's ironic that it comes in Mental Health Awareness Month, right? It shows the dissociation we have between athletes and their humanity. And Lexi Brown actually tweeted earlier that social media is blurring the lines of athletics and, and, and humanity behind them. So I'm proud of her for setting boundaries and showing like, hey, I need to be in a space where I can compete so I can perform at the highest level and not have to worry about um, the potential sabotage it might have on me in my mental state. Because as they're training physically, it's equally as important to have them train mentally. And you know, you see athletes stepping up boldly and saying, hey, no, I need to put me first. And so kudos to her. Yeah, you bring up that mental toughness. It's so important for athletes. But look, coverage is also so important for the sport and the tournaments, especially women's sports. We know they often get way less coverage and airtime and money than men's mm -hmm. sports. So how can we find that balance between reporting on sports and respecting the players? I think that we need to take a look, look at who's in those rooms, who is is connecting with these players, this media's responsibility to not only push stories, but actually listen and bring out that humanity that I spoke to beforehand. Um, and just, you know, players are capitalizing off of the fact that they know that they can be their own brand at this point. So the rise of social media, again, I, I keep pounding it in people's ear because that's the future of this. The athletes are owning their own narratives, but just making sure that they're cognizant, hey, you know, as this media, I'm not trying to be toxic for you, but that's accountability on the media's end as well, because you saw what she went through as she was wearing um, the victims of police brutality on her mask and her, her wardrobe last year, and we saw the 
the questioning that followed that, and it was really frustrating, especially an athlete of color, a woman of color, is trying to make a stance, trying to bring out the, again, humanity in situations, and had to be subjected to a line of questioning that was very tone deaf and frankly dense. And so media, we have to take responsibility, take accountability, and do better by these athletes. And it's not saying everything needs to be cookie cutter and, and ponies and roses, but it is knowing, being like relevant and knowing what these players are going through and empathizing with that in, to a certain degree. Yeah, and look, also just being a little bit kind, right? I used to cover sports. Yeah. I've been in those news conferences before. I don't ever remember anyone saying to start, hey, I'm, I'm sorry that you lost, and I, I'm yeah. sorry that you're having a tough time, or how are you? We never ask those questions. We cut right yeah. to the things that we think our bosses want us to ask or that maybe, you know, the viewers are itching to hear, and we forget we're talking to human beings who are hurting. Uh, you know what? It's funny because that is the only message that I get from this. We need to respect the athlete as a human, treat them as a human, recognize that humanity. It is our responsibility to bring that out. We tell stories, right? These are the athletes that are telling us the stories. They're they're literally narrating what, um, like their, their performance is, is an actual depiction of what we want to get across. So Naomi, Kudos to you for setting these boundaries, knowing how you can you can put up a wall in order so to represent your country or um, yourself in the best way you can. I think it's so hard, right, because we do forget that stars like Naomi Osaka are people, too. I mean, they're intimidating when you see them in person. We're in awe of them. Um, in, in a lot of ways, we worship them, right? We just forget they're human. Uh, listen, we do know there are fines for skipping Grand Slam press conferences, and Osaka has said she expects to get fined, and she hopes that this money will go to mental health charities. Uh, we know the WTA, the French Open, haven't commented yet, but what would you like to see them do here? I would like to see them take a look at why she's acting this like acting in this manner, why she's sounding out. Because yeah. if the risk of the mon the monetary risk for her is worth it, that's a problem. That's some deep rooted, layered issues within that. Imagine being like, no, I'll pay the twenty thousand as long as I don't have to speak to reporters. We need to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and figure out why. You know what I mean? At this point, we need to We're figure out bad. why. It's that bad. Yeah. So just imagine, imagine. She's young too. So I mean, I understand she has millions, but twenty thousand dollars is not a piece of change. It's not. Absolutely. We need, we need to see some change for sure. And look, you mentioned it. Uh, this is not the first time she stood up for change. She's certainly someone who is not afraid to speak her mind. Uh, great to see uh, female athletes doing that across the board. And great to have you on the show. Please come back and see us again. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, so uh, Naomi Osaka, since this uh, news report <clears throat> withdrew entirely from the French uh, Open and uh, was fined $15,000, I believe, Osaka went public right before the French Open with her statement on tournament press conferences. Let's see. <clears throat> so, Naomi Osaka, what do you think? Um, Naomi Osaka's work is to play tennis at a championship level. Uh, 
She's being prevented from doing her work. Let's see what Dave Zirin says. Dave Zirin is our uh, socialist sports writer. Naomi Osaka, to all the people who said she was distracting herself from winning this tournament by representing for those who killed killed by police, you officially get the gas face. And Chris Everett commented, she's become more outspoken with her shot making. <laughs> okay, so the whole role of athletes now is definitely changing. Athletes are coming to see themselves as workers and protesting against some of the conditions of their work. All right, well, let's take a listen to Radio Labor. Radio Labor is our worldwide news report. We present every week. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, June 4th, 2021. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, secret corporate courts in free trade deals. Teachers want climate change taught in curriculums. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. You knew our would be in trouble as your emissions grew and grew. You said it's only prop and bubble, but did you really have a clue? This is Radio Labor. One of the ways multinational corporations hold power over free trade deals is by the use of secretive courts in investor state dispute systems, known by their acronym ISDS. These systems have allowed corporations to sue governments because they have raised the minimum wage in a country or implemented plain packaging provisions for cigarettes. To find out more about ISDS, I talked to Nick Crook. Mr. Crook is the head of international relations for the UK union Unison. The UK is negotiating a free trade deal with Australia that Unison is hoping will not include an ISDS. I asked Mr. Crook to explain what an ISDS is. The name says it all, in effect. It's an agreement that allows a private transnational or multinational investor to sue individual nation-states in private investment tribunals for decisions that that state makes, maybe a legitimate public policy decision. ISDS has been around for about 50, 60 years, and originally they were often included in bilateral investment treaties. The UK already has 60-plus bilateral investment treaties, but in the last sort of 10 years, they've been embedded in the new generation of free trade agreements where there'll be a specific investment chapter. And so they're now an integral part of the free trade agreement policy area. The main problem with ISDS is that increasingly challenges under ISDS are used not because a private investor has been expropriated by a domestic government, but because a private investor dislikes public policy decision that a member state takes. And therefore, they challenge that decision in these private investment courts. 
Why does Unison object to ISDS? There are a whole number of reasons. Firstly, if they're included in free trade agreements, they privilege investors in a way that workers or citizens are not privileged because investment chapters are legally enforceable in these private investment tribunals and they allow investors to uh, challenge governments in a way that workers, if a government is in breach of labor legislation or citizens, if a government is in breach of environmental legislation, they can't challenge those governments often because those parts of the free trade agreements aren't legally enforceable. So it privileges private investors over workers or citizens. Secondly, because ISDS takes place in a private court system, these aren't courts run by national governments or by the international community. These are private investment tribunals set up by investment lawyers that don't have an existing body of case law. Each investment tribunal is capable of taking its own decision. It's not bound by case law or jurisprudence. Lawyers can play different roles uh, in different investment tribunals. They can sit as a judge on one and then as a litigant on another, which compromises their role and compromises their position. And very often they're secretive as well. We may know what the final judgment is if a government has to pay out millions and millions of dollars in compensation to an investor. But actually the motivation, the, the grounds for the decision of a private investment tribunal are often kept secret. For example, in the case of Australia that was sued by Philip Morris, the multinational tobacco company, that cost the Australian taxpayer 24 million Australian dollars to defend in the investment tribunal. And although Australia was able to claim some of that back because they won the case, they only recovered about half of that. So the Australian taxpayers lost out a huge amount of money. And even if governments don't go through the court system, the threat of the use of ISDS against a government often freezes legitimate public policy decisions. And we're seeing that increasingly in environmental cases because the vast majority of ISDS cases now are being used against countries that try to enforce environmental protection. Teachers around the world are demanding that climate change be studied in schools. Seamarie Ainsborough has a report. We have to prepare for recovery and teaching about climate change education is part of the recovery. That is Hollis Holst, the Deputy Secretary of Education International. EI is the global union for teachers and other educators. It represents more than 32 million union members in 178 countries. One of its affiliates is the Canadian Teachers Federation. EI has started a global campaign to add the study of climate change to curriculums. Here's why. We simply cannot wait. So it's not a moment to lose. And I think we've seen all through this pandemic that teachers and other educators have kept on working. And they've been acknowledged for that. They've been out there for their students, whether it's been online, whether it's been on radio, whether it's been driving around, trying to deliver an education that is relevant for them here and now and for the future. And even though we are in a pandemic, the challenges for the future haven't disappeared. So we need them to be part of the education we deliver today and tomorrow. And climate change is one of them. It's not just about learning to read and write. That's important because they are important tools to be able to acquire knowledge, 
to utilize knowledge and to reflect on how you can make a difference. The teachers and education is about the future and what our students are concerned with and also sometimes expects free or for is a future that is impacted by climate change. And I think that's why educators are so concerned of having a content and an education that addresses this so that it's relevant for our students. Some already have that curriculum. Some are already dealing with this on a daily basis, but others need that framework to be able to use the time and space to be relevant for their students and also to give them the educational space that also is safe to reflect on the knowledge that is out there, to reflect on how this impacts on their daily life. Our students live the consequences of climate change every day and they need to be able, as I said, to reflect and acquire knowledge so that they can develop how they can make a change for the future. Because they can. Because we need to instill that hope that they feel, yes, I can make a change. As an activist, as a citizen, when acquiring your skills for the job and the career you want to do, that you see that, yes, I can do that in a better future within a green economy. And that's the purpose that teachers want to be there for their students, including other educators too. Everyone who interacts with young people, you want to be able to be relevant for them today. And young people are asking for this. In a way, we could even say that we have a lot to learn from young people because they can teach those of us that have been around a long time and have difficulties in changing our habit that yes, it's possible to act in a different way. Yes, it's possible to think in a different way. Yes, it's possible to implement other solutions. And our students are the future. They are going to give us those solutions and we need an education to deliver that. Teachers today, educators today are ready to do that. Even though we are in a pandemic, they're not teaching about the pandemic every day. They're trying to teach the full breadth of the curriculum and they're preparing for the day that the pandemic is over. We have to prepare for recovery too. And teaching about climate change education is part of the recovery because that is also interconnected with all the other challenges we have, also when it comes to inequalities around the world. And we need to see how they interact and how we can create a better future that is more just for all our students. This is Seymourie Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of trade union statements marking the anniversary of Tiananmen Square, the long list of human rights violations by the Myanmar military that has been collected by the Global Union Federations, and the news that Lee Chuk Yan, General Secretary of the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions, has been given a further jail sentence for organizing a pro-democracy protest. Of course, we had a large number of stories about the ongoing national general strike in Colombia. We went beyond collecting news about the strike in two ways. Of course, we are running an online action. 
but for our solidarity contribution, we organized a webinar with two leading Colombian trade unionists in conjunction with the Public Services International. That's the Global Union Federation for Public Sector Workers. Hundreds of trade unionists around the world were able to hear Francesco Maltes, president of CUT Colombia, and Margarita Lopez, president of Sinatra Coval Colombia, speak about the conditions that gave rise to the strike and what has been sustaining it for so long. And, of course, about the massive state repression of the popular movements in Colombia that has resulted in dozens of deaths and hundreds of disappearances. A recording of the session is available on our Facebook page. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found reports about the prevalence of workplace sexual harassment in the United Kingdom's healthcare system, protests by women workers in East Watini, and the organizing women sex workers in South Africa are doing as they press for the legalization of their work. Our Health and Safety Newswire highlighted the British Union push for a ban on emails from bosses outside of work hours, the daily safety concerns of South African healthcare workers, and the hazards of life as a minor in Pakistan. Our photo of the week is of Swiss trade unionists presenting a petition with 137,000 signatures to their government. The unions have initiated a process which they hope will lead to a national referendum on whether to improve the state pension. LaborStart hosts online solidarity actions at the requests of unions around the world. This week we'd like to highlight an urgent appeal for online solidarity with the workers of Colombia as they face violent repression by that country's police and military. A general strike was called over a month ago and will continue until the government reverses its neoliberal economic and social policies. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. It takes only seconds to send a message that could change workers' lives for the better. This is Derek Blackheader from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Australia's Victoria Labor Choir with You Knew Grandpa, You Knew. Clean gas. 
had a lovely life to suit ya and never wanted to say whoa. And that's it. International labor news you can use. I marched along.
city of San Diego under the Coronado Bridge light a little piece of land. A little piece of land that the Chicano community of Logan Heights wanted to make into a park. A park where all the chavalitos could come and play in so they wouldn't have to play in the street and get run over by a car. A park where all the viejitos could come in the tarde and just sit down and watch the sun go down. A park where all the familias could come and just get together on a Sunday afternoon and celebrate the spirit of life itself. But the city of San Diego said, Chale, we're gonna make a highway patrol substation here. So on April the 22nd, 1970, La Raza of Logan Heights and other Chicano communities got together and they walked down the land and they took it over with their picks and their shovels and they began to build their own park. And today, almost 20 years later, that little piece of land under the Coronado Bridge in San Diego is known to people everywhere as Chicano Park. vamos al parque. It began in 1970 under the Coronado Bridge and mi barrio in San Diego. Chicano Park Under the bridge Under the bridge Under the
en que vivan los barrios unidos. Que vivan, que vivan los barrios unidos. Que vivan, que vivan los barrios unidos. Que vivan, que vivan. Okay, we're back now. <clears throat> Chicano Park by Los Alecranes, the story of a park that the community took over in the year 1970 when um, the city wanted to put a highway patrol office there. The people did not let them. They took over the land and made Chicano Park. And then we had Blue Rondo a la Turk, uh, Dave Brubeck's homage to Turk Murphy. Um, before that, you knew, Grandpa, you knew. Okay? You guys know what's going on with the environment, with homeless people with bad food, with the rape of the land. You know what's going on. And you keep profiting from it. I want to turn now to a, a video, audio, about Stonewall. <clears throat> Stonewall, of course, in in June of 1969 was the scene of uh, a battle <clears throat> between police and mostly gay, LGB, what we would call today, LGBTQ people. The bar was kind of a hangout. It was a hangout for them, a place where people could go and meet one another and be themselves. And of course, as was the custom of the time, the police uh, routinely went and raided it and humiliated the people who were there. So this one is called Stonewall Forever. It'll take us uh, down to 11.30, but certainly worth the listening. Okay, Stonewall forever. We have always existed. We're going to fucking continue to exist. Yeah. I'm proud of my experience as a black, Afro-Latino, transsexual male. Yeah. We should not be burdened having to pretend this is any other day, regardless of age, sexuality, gender, or race. Everyone should be standing with us. Trans rights are human rights. Yeah. That rally, that was put together in like five hours. When I got to the protest and I saw all those people, like, I was so, I was at a loss for words because there was just so much power. There was so much passion. I felt like they had my back. I wouldn't be here as I am right now if it weren't for everyone who fought in the past. 
I only first heard about Stonewall two years ago. Two years ago. Which makes me so angry because I should, this should be taught. I don't know when I first heard about Stonewall, but I think I always kind of heard about it in conjunction with Pride. Pride isn't just about parade that I grew up going to as a younger person. Pride was actually about a riot against the police. So it was almost 50 years ago. And it's amazing how the LGBT community started fighting back against oppression and transphobia. Because of my privilege today, it's my job to educate myself on the things that they did to make this possible. You owe it to them to do that. And it's part of what you have to do as a queer person today. Smells good. We're gonna stop at these benches over here. This was my bed. This is my living room. So this is where I came when I was 13 years old. It was 1962, 63, you know? And when I first hit here, I was so fucking scared. This was Gay Alley. We were all out here, all kids. It would range from like 20 to maybe 30, 40, 50 uh, lesbian and gay boys out here, drag queens, transsexuals. I definitely felt like I had a family, which I never felt before. The park was, was safe. The cops didn't come in and bother us that much. Stepping outside the park was a big fucking difference. Freestonewall was cops. Cops, cops, cops. You always had to be watching your back. It was just random. With whoever's face they didn't like. There was a, this kind of right of humiliation. They would have to fully humiliate you before they could let you go. Sexual deviancy was the main charge, but they tell us it was, uh, we didn't have the three articles of female clothing on. Bra, panties, what the fuck was the other third piece, and how did they know I didn't have that on? The accumulation of Stonewall was many years of uh, seeing the police just barge in places. Technically, they could arrest you for, for uh, exhibiting homosexual behavior in public. And dancing with a person of the same sex, especially a slow dance, would fit the bill. We were not a protected class. It didn't matter how many times they beat us up. It didn't matter how many times we'd go to jail. Get out of the hospital, get out of jail, and come right back to the same place again, because that was ours. It was really tough being a street queen on 42nd Street. But in the village, you thought, Oh, it's okay, we could hang out, not be bothered. I felt comfortable in little, sort of dirty little places. You'd walk up Christopher Street, you knew every fucking buddy. It was a lively neighborhood, you know, the West Village was like, Gay, you know, I'm gonna use those words because queer was a bad word back then. It was gay. She wants to know how. 
I said, oh, wow, this is heaven. There's other people like me. There was a lot of transsexuals in this area. Tourists would come down in their double-decker buses taking pictures because we were all dressed outrageously. And we walked up and down Christopher Street, and we weren't afraid because we were in numbers. I started to grow here because I was free. best friend called me and told me, I found a gay bar and they can they allow you to dance with men. That was the Stonewall. Stonewall was, you know, it was always dark in there. You had to feel your way around sometimes. The interior of the bar was horrific. I mean, they didn't have running water. So no one ordered, if you knew, no one ordered a drink in a glass. But it was ours, I mean. So who cared what it looked like? And it was always crowded, you know, always crowded. Like, you'd see queer people outside, but walking into the bars and seeing so many of us, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, like, it was home. All places that were frequented by gay people were much more diverse. There weren't many bars, and we were all under siege. My first lover and I, we had just come back in from Washington. We were passing forged checks okay. and whatnot, but we were making good money. And so, well, let's go to Stonewall. The police came in. They came in to get their pay off, as usual. This is what we learned to live with at that time. I don't know if it was the customers or was the police. It just... Everything clicked. It was a crowded Friday night, but someone behind me mentioned something about a raid. And already they were taking the drag queens out. People were dragged from the bar and were shoved into the paddy wagon. They were pushing this queen into a paddy wagon, and I saw her heel come out and hit the cop's shoulder and push him back. He jumped in, and you could hear bone against metal. And he said, all right, you fags, you saw what you wanted the show's over, and I get the fuck out of here. We went for him. And there was enough provocation in every section. The right was on. The police were there in massive numbers, because that's one of the first time a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender group had ever fought back. But you can only take so much shit. Do you know what I mean? word started coming down into the park that there was this altercation over near Stonewall. We got up here, it was like hundreds of people already. There was trans women, there were lesbians, there were femmes, there were drag queens, there was white, there was black, there was Asian. Everybody was fucking out here. It was a liberation. You know, we felt empowered, like, you know, this is who we are, we're not going any fucking where. And it just took a momentum of its own. There was no leaders, nothing was planned, but everything went amazingly in our favor. About 
three, four o'clock in the morning, they finally got the streets cleared. We went back to the park, and we talked about it all fucking night. Had no idea that it was gonna blow up into, you know, gay pride. Disturbances around the Stonewall lasted for about three or four days. I wish I could say that I had a crystal ball and I thought this was going to be the beginning of social change, but I didn't see much happening. What made the Stonewall uprising really different was that two weeks later, the Gay Liberation Front sent out a notice that they were organizing. We don't care if straight people accept us. We're going to be who we are. And if you don't like who we are, just get out of our way. We came up with the idea of a pride march. We called it the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. vision that people would march out of the village to the daylight of Central Park, where we would have a big party, we would have political speeches, and we would be free. Because, you see, this march was very um, daring, because it came in an age of violence. Kent State, the assassinations in the United States, and so this was not an easy time to form a gay march. We had to go single file so that we could elongate ourselves and look like this was a march. But what happened was, as we kept going from the sidelines, from the streets, the people would join us. And they didn't notice right away, but it was growing. What began as a question mark downtown ended in an exclamation point. The march made us public. And we all knew it was different now. And we. We're going to live differently. We started to become a people. Whether you came in today to come out, whether you came in last night to come out, whether you came in last week to come out, we are out! Waking up to say hip hip hooray, I'm glad I'm gay. Can't repress my happiness ever since I tried your way. My expectation, and that of many people of color in that moment, was that this movement would also understand that there had to be a commitment to issues beyond the ones that were clearly on the table. We are everywhere in terms of, we are every permutation of humanity in terms of identities, you know, from race and class and gender. What better movement to set as its vision and mission a connectedness with all of the struggles for justice? The work was cut out for us, for sure. Let her speak. Just a moment. Just a moment. 
just a moment. I would like to avoid any trouble. This is a day of unity for us. I want us to be happy. It was like a nightmare. All these white men and women were booing her. The people that are trying to do something for all of us and not men and women that belong to a white middle class, white club, and that's what you all belong to. Revolution now! Sylvia and Marsha. They led the fight for transgender rights. Because in the earlier days, the lesbians and the gays, they never included transgender people. And when we say equality, equality has to be for everybody. I could not believe that all of us who were at those protests were uh, ignored. We really didn't exist. We were a nuisance an embarrassment. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Ray Rivera planted the seeds that took so long to grow and take root. They were there in the front lines. And it was just so incredible that there were people who stood back like embarrassed. We are not one of you. I was almost always in a state of dissonance working in the LGBT movement, even as I worked for lesbian and gay rights, that there was not a general understanding that our struggle needed to be much broader. You, you rolled up your sleeve and you're like, how the hell do we get these people to understand that you've got to see these connections? My experience as a woman, my experience as a lesbian, my experience as a black person become equally important in terms of how we do this work to dismantle the whole house, to bring it all down. And the commitment to seeing the linkages of liberation as one it would not be one for a very, very long time. I don't think I ever had a timeline. But the work that's being done now is like, yes! It's like, you know, you, you won't even see the shit coming.
today, people showed up. Mm -hmm. People showed out. We will be Part of it is that they can't envision us living with a non-binary body in a binary world. And you know what? That's on all of us to change. If we didn't fight back, then what are we going to say in the future? How are we going to write our stories? How are people going to read our stories? I think it's so important to preserve queer history that includes trans people and intersex people and gender non-conforming people. Because I think for me as a young person, being able to see those images of like, oh, these people look like me. I can see myself in history. I can see myself as part of a longer legacy. I feel like I'm still fighting for everything that they were fighting for back then because sadly, yes, things have improved, but it's not like we are there yet. 60% of the trans community doesn't have unemployment. We don't have access to housing. We don't have documents to live in this country. There is a lot of hate crimes. I want my community to feel safe. And that's the reason why I do this type of work. I hope that people who need platforms and need to tell their story are given exactly that. Hi, my name is Chella Man, and this is my voice one day on TV. And this is my voice, three weeks on teams. 12 weeks on teams. 26 weeks on teams. One year on teams. Just there's so many different ways you can approach um, your identity nowadays. And I feel like that is also contributing to why there's another queer movement on the horizon. I believe that queer and trans people were a manifestation of the future. I would love to see a future where all of the restrictive social structures that we see so clearly and have words for, words like white supremacy, patriarchy, colonialism, sexism, where those things have been obliterated. People that are gonna come in the future are gonna need our words and need our experiences just like we needed those words and experiences and truths from those who came before us. I am fighting to hold on to the gains that we've made. The vision of the Gay Liberation Front, that people have the right to civil rights, to health care, to not be attacked. We're fighting now for acceptance in schools. In Las Vegas, we just won a battle to let transgender people go to school as trans. I'm still passionate about homelessness in our community. Yeah, I'm so fucking passionate about that. I am for all the young voices who are against guns and for education, for housing. This battle has become global, and I'm in awe of uh, uh, the people today have kept the battle up. While we're here, we do all that we can to make our mark that we were here and that we mattered so that someone in the future can know that they mattered too.
And there you have it, Stonewall Forever. Let's kick up some Dwight Yoakam here. Beautiful mandolin playing on this one. Luke John B. Come on, this Luke John B. My grandfather and me. Around Nassau town, we did roam. Drinking all night. Got into it.
Okay, that was uh, Dwight Joachim with uh, the Sloop John B. And we have um, Tito with us from uh, UC Davis in Yemen to talk about things in the news. Every week we put together a, a little feature like this to see what these college students are thinking. Um, let's see. Hello, Vita? Hi. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Very good. Okay. Um, instead of like talking, there's a, so much going on. There's so much going on in the news now. Instead yeah. of talking about one issue, um, I'm just going to throw some things at you guys and see, see what, uh, you know, your comments are off the top of your head. Is Yemen there? Right. Yes. Hey, Yemen. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Nice to be here. Okay. Um, first of all, of course, um, the uh, Democratic uh, members of the Senate and the House of Representatives have tried to put together a commission to study what happened on January 6th and why it happened and who did it and right. who made it happen. But the uh, Republicans uh, used a tactic called the filibuster to stop what they were doing. And um, anyone who's not aware of what the filibuster is, it's a way for a minority party to hold up uh, a bill passing or an action being taken by the whole Senate simply by getting the floor and continuing to talk or continuing to in some cases, they read the, the phone book, right? Right. To, to, and there's a famous scene, of course, in a movie called uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington with James Stewart where he's this righteous, you know, little unknown guy and he sees something crooked going on. So he stands up in front of the Senate for days on end, hours on end, to stop it from happening. Well, that's not how it is now. The Republicans in the Senate just declared a filibuster and stopped the passage of this commission. And I'm wondering, uh, some people are saying, oh, the filibuster is a defense of democracy for the minority. But in a situation like this, it seems like it's not. What Have you guys got any uh, intake on that? Any ideas? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something I also remember about the filibuster was when I was in high school and my, uh, I think it was sophomore year of high school or junior year, and everyone was talking about how the Republicans were filibustering during the Bush administration also. Yes. Like, they would always just filibuster anytime, like, because the Democrats were a majority then, I think, in the House. Yes. Um, and so, like, the Republicans would always do this. So I feel like after time, you know, we can change our laws and our whole process. I think after time, if it's been shown again and again, like maybe a judicial uh, expert, legislative expert, lawyer, whomever, attorney general, 
someone could see this, make a case that, you know, this is being used for, uh, you know, something bad as opposed to, like, making a democratic process. Uh-huh. Like, it's being used to thwart it, really. Because uh-huh. it's been used several times. Yeah, um, and it seems like it's often used to prevent um, progressive laws, in this case, certainly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I feel the same way. It's um, it seems like to be a loophole embedded in in, in the legal system. There you uh, go. And yeah, it's really frustrating, but it's up to our best and brightest to get us out of, of this vicious cycle. Definitely. <laughs> Okay, um, June, of course, is Gay Pride Month, and we just played a, uh, an audio documentary about uh, Stonewall, the famous battle that took place in 1969. It kind of marks the beginning of the gay pride movement. Yeah. What do you guys think? Is, is uh, homophobia, um, Prejudice against LGBTQ people alive and well there on the campus on the campus uh, of Davis. Oh or? yeah, there's idiots everywhere, uh-huh. and there's dudes who you know are always trying to prove prove they're a man every day because they can't figure it out themselves. So they have to put other people down. They have to put men down um, who don't act as manly as them. I think that's like definitely the like highest like thing of homophobia because then men will just be like you know, say F-A-G or all these, like, derogatory words to each other if they're not behaving a certain way. Um, But, like, in general, I feel like LGBTQ people walk around our campus pretty safe. Hey, hold on a second. I want to show you how you can build... um, School. Uh They have centers where people can go and be and have community and stuff. So... I mean, I haven't seen anything, but I mean, I think it does exist. And I think people think that they're good people or they're religious and they're over here uh, hurting somebody or judging them when they're not God, you know? So, yeah, it happens. I I think it does happen. There's a lot of racism and homophobia here. And it's sad because there's people from all over the world, but they don't come with, like, smart ideas. They come with the same stupid hick homophobia issues that we have here you know from other parts of the world and i think the way the uc system handles it is more damage control rather than being proactive they're more reactive um they don't really go out there and make sure things don't happen they just set up stations for when things do happen that's kind of like the mindset i have on how they approach these types of issues um yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty sad because the UC system, on top of being California's system, uh, also gets a lot of money, and so we have like way higher expectations of them. Yeah, but they just they're just sleeping on the job. Yeah, they don't. You're right. They don't do like outreach or like anything like so. People they're not looking out it. for these issues. They're just waiting yeah. to hear about them right. to get their lawyers uh-huh. to cover them up or to get uh to get an, like a, a, an office here or there dedicated to. Uh, minority group that's suffering that specific yeah one. yeah i mean i don't know i've i've gone to the uh 
LGBTQIA center on campus. And you have to speak with with Napolitano, or you have to interact like, with them. Yeah, no, but I've gone there, and it's nice. Like, they have their little spot and stuff. Yeah. And it's near the Chicano studies area, uh, but, I mean, it's all the same, you know? It's like, just when a sexual assault happens, like, they're not really taking care of it in advance. They're just dealing with it after. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, the third issue I want to talk about is a, a world-level tennis player named Naomi Osaka. Have you guys heard of her? Uh, yeah, she's amazing. Yes. I'm so, a fan of hers. Um, Osaka has won four major tennis tournaments. She's the number two player in the whole world. And recently, so she um, she said that she wasn't going to talk to the press after the tennis matches were over because she felt like that was a time when she was uh, very vulnerable mentally. And the way the press conferences went, she said that, you know, it was just really destructive. She was fined for doing that by the uh, French Open tennis tournament. And then so she withdrew completely from the tournament. And she's gotten uh, a lot of criticism, of course. Um, We all like our entertainers to be uh, not to be people. We want them to be super people and uh and put up with all the the you know what i tell those people then go win all the things she won and do what she did and then tell me how you feel after Uh like no one can tell her how she feels except her She's entire online business with mugs. In fact, I want to give you my new free book, Zero to Mugpreneur, How to Build an Online Empire with a Simple Mug. My name is Dave Kentner, and I've built an entire lifestyle business doing simple designs, putting them on websites, and having them sell like clockwork. In fact, simple designs like this mug right here. I gave myself the day off. In fact, I do that often. I think by now she has a right, for sure, like... She's already proven herself. She doesn't need to prove anything to anyone else. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting, too, because, like, you have, like, the Muhammad Ali's, the Michael Jordan's, yeah. you know, the Osaka's, and, like, she's learning, it seems like, from what they had to go through. Um, maybe Jordan was a bit more censored, but Muhammad Ali was right out there from the get-go. You're not going to control me. Yeah. So I think that, like, she's she's approaching it in a systemic way. Where she's holding her uh, credibility and her her stature, like you know what I mean, her yeah. in, in the in the athletic world, and she's making like a paradigm shift where it's like we're the legends and you have to deal with us. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure she did go through all that that trauma, like you know, and all that stuff, like from from them, and, and it added. Mm-hmm. But like, she's such a fierce competitor that like even in the real world, real world, she's setting up a whole system to kick down like. The press press is a sort of a, um, pestering, you know, because it happens. Athletes have to do it all the time. That's why you have typical like post game interviews, like, "Oh yeah, you know, I just went out there, you know, and <laughs> thank everything to God and my family, you know." And if it wasn't for that, <laughs> right. like, yeah, they go easy on the men. It's the same yeah. speech all the time. And, right. like, and they're sick of it. You can tell they're tired. They don't want to talk. So it's like, right? She's actually using her her legendary status like for the better. And I like how it's kind of like. Um, kind of like sassy how it's like oh yeah like yeah i'm having mental problems now because of you so i'm not gonna like talk to you anymore yeah you know 
I don't think France also has a leg to stand on because they were also like they're very racist, like the whole government in general, and they're like Islamophobic too. They like I think they oh yeah dog or something like that, like very racist. So it's like who are they to tell a woman of color like what she needs to do or feel? Like they never cared about how women of color feel for centuries. What the hell? They don't have any clue yeah. of how they make women of color feel. So they need friends. to calm down. Yeah, like, and she's also half Asian, half black, like, you know, she's at the nexus of, like, a lot of hate and stuff that's going on right now. Like, she has a right to protect her mental well-being. You know, she's an investment, and she has to take care of herself. So yeah. She's going to destroy herself every time. She's very young, too. So she can't, like, longevity, you know, she can't be going through all these things all the time at such a young age. And be going through it for years. She needs to preserve herself so she could last. So, yeah, good for her. Plus, she's bringing up the issue of mental illness, too, which is something a lot of people are scared to talk about. Yeah, because then you feel weak. But it's like, you know, maybe the fact that she's bringing it up now and giving a break for herself will avoid her from having, like, a full breakdown or, like, a full issue. Yeah. Okay, well, uh... Any, anything else? Any any uh, final comments? Yeah. Uh, no. No. Talk so. to you guys uh, next week then, if okay. not sooner. And uh, good luck in your finals. I know your finals are coming up. Yeah, next week. Thank you. Okay, okay well, talk to you later today. thank you, Yemen. Thank you, Vita. Labor and Love Live. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, Vita and Yemen, our campus correspondents. And that brings us right up to uh, time to go. And if you just hang on for a few minutes, you'll be treated to a flat black plastic show with my buddy Scott Walker and uh, have a good week everybody good week and good work we're going to go out with Sukiyaki which uh, Sukiyaki was written after a political demonstration in Japan against the US-Japanese treaty the Rally was broken up violently by police, and the guy who wrote the song felt so depressed. He wrote this song, Sukiyaki, which became a love song, too, as well. He wrote it so it was adaptable to a love song. And this is uh, Priscilla Ahn. This is the bee talking to you from Labor and Love. Saying goodbye till next week. Good week and good work. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. 
labor, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Come on down to Meet Me Radio, 2781 21st Street, and find your voice. My fellow patriots, I'm Cade Courtley, former Navy SEAL, platoon commander, sniper, and best. Five p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, let's watch full-length movies. All right, let's do a full-minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, ya. See you next time. I was just leaving the theater. Convertible 1961 gold Cadillac with a white interior. And I started to do some thinking. Really really good time. Black, black, black. Looking big splits and cruising. Saturday night number two. On the freeway. And I will cut the Henry! Yeah, Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse.
First Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and 
love with passion and our passion who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution who would rather die than fall in line to conform who constantly challenge the norm who greet each and every day as if just born i say to you i know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact and in fact i know it best when i say to you i love you my friends out at Mutiny Radio. Jester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Bamtastic's Deep in the Mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday from 